How's it going, everyone? Welcome back to the Philmont podcast, Silver on the Sage. I am your host, Caitlin Lowe, and this is season two, episode 14. Uh, it is also part five of the Women of Philmont mini series. In this episode, Jessica Seifert joins the show. Jess was a participant in 2006 and 2008 on regular treks. She was a seasonal staff member in 2011, 2012, and 2014, all working as a wrangler for the ranch department. And from August 2017 to present, Jess works as a full-time employee for the ranch department at Philmont Scout Ranch. As a seasonal wrangler, Jess enjoyed participating in both ranch and backcountry activities, broadening her understanding of program and her circle of friends. Today, Jess works full-time for the ranch, and she talks about the solitude and the, quote, God moments of living and working via horseback. She also talks about the sacrifices and the long days dedicated to the livelihood of livestock. Jessica is the first full-time female employee of the ranch department and is loving and living the dream. And it all started because her dad also worked at Philmont back in 1976. She joined venturing and the rest is history. Also, you will notice in this episode that the intermission is brought to you by Jive Bookkeeping. We are trying some new things out where I'd love to promote, to lift up, to encourage different Filma alumni to share their accomplishments, their passions, their skill sets. So from time to time, you may hear from different entrepreneurs on the show, all of which will be Filma alumni. And if you're interested in checking out what they're up to, I will link their info at the bottom of each episode description. All right, everyone, let's hike on. Or in the ranch department, as they say, let's ride on. How's it going, Jess? We just got done putting our kiddos to bed. So we're in like post-bedtime come down from one mom to another. So how are you doing this evening? Doing good. Doing good. We made it through the evening rush and now we're settling back with my glass of wine and quiet. Yep. Girl time. So it's good. I'm excited. Good. Cheers to that. Yeah. Same on my end of things. I'm really excited to have you as part of our uh you know, women of Philmont miniseries. Uh, I really wanted to get someone from the ranch department in there. I'd love to hear the beginning of your story because I don't know it, even though I know we are acquaintances and friends. Um, so, so you, I know you trekked in 2006 and 2008, but you can take it even farther back if you want to like when it really began for you. Well, I guess I, I was a Girl Scout from like second grade through eighth grade. And I was part of a troop that was like there were two troops in our age group in my town and I was part of the troop that was much less into outdoorsiness. I was in a group of girls that we did a lot of the typical Girl Scout things um, but we didn't get into the high adventure stuff really hard and I, and I was really there for the hiking like that's what I wanted to do and so you know the, the fanciest we ever got was like tent camping with our cars right next door and stuff we never did any like overnight treks and 
backpacking. And so I, as soon as I could, joined the local venture crew, which was comprised of a lot of girls from the other Girl Scout troop in town and then some older girls as well. And then there were a couple of guys. We actually had some brothers in there, It was, but it kind of was the time that I was in there. It was largely female um, with a handful of guys that ventured with us. A couple of those are Philmonters too. So, you know, glad to have them out at the ranch, but that was kind of my escape from the Girl Scout box. So I did not finish Girl Scouting. As soon as I could, I jumped over to Venture and I terminated my time as a Girl Scout. I didn't go all the way through gold or anything, but I jumped on the Venture crew boat really hard. And I was actually the crew leader for my second trek that I took in 2008 and just loved it. I, you know, my dad went with me on my first trek. My mom went with me on my second one. My sister was with us on the second one. And so it kind of became a family thing. My dad was actually the original film monitor in my family and came out here in the, the mid seventies, like 76 or something like that. And so he knew about it and was real psyched about us getting into venture so that we could then get into film haunting. So we uh, actually came to Philmont as an inspiration of my dad, I guess is the root of the question. And then came here um, on treks. And my sister, for those of you that don't know, is Mary Godwin, who is a legacy in and of herself in the ranger department. And I, I honestly don't even know how many summers she was there, like eight. I, I couldn't tell you. So she beats me on the seasonal level. Anyhow, did two treks there. And then I think this is something we talked about looking at later, you know, who brought me here Katharina Stoll actually like super encouraged me. I didn't start staffing at Philmont right out of high school. I did a couple of other jobs and uh, I wanted to be a vet for a while. So I was a veterinary assistant for a summer and I worked at a kennel for a summer. And then I was talking to Katharina about like, you know, I really don't want to work at a kennel again, you know, this summer, what can, you know, and she said, I've been working at Philmont the last two summers. You should really apply. There's a ranch department. You can do horses. Like I, I did like the venture and hiking side of things, but I'm not when there's an option to not walk, I will take that option. So I uh, had not been doing a lot of outdoorsy stuff since, and she knew that rangering probably wasn't up my alley. But when she pitched the horse side of things to me, I was like, oh, so you have my interest. I, I'd been on a dude ride at Bobian when I was a camper in 2008, but I uh, it had never occurred to me, duh, that you know there was a whole department for people doing horses at Philmont. And so it was actually Katharina's encouragement that got me to apply. And I actually came out here right before my junior year of college the first time. And here I am. My dad was uh, the original film monitor in my experience as well. So he came out in in the odd in the late 70s too, worked at Bobian one summer. And that was enough, uh, it, like it sparked so much interest in him. And he told us stories growing up as kids. And so that's kind of my story as well. And my sisters went too. So that's really fun. I didn't know that about you. That's fun to share. Yay, dads. Right? <laughs> yeah, definitely a film family just like it's kind of in your roots. So that's that's how it kickstarts. So um, you always worked in the ranch department, correct? When yeah. you did come back on staff. Yeah, I, I worked three summers yeah. in a fall. What was what was your first summer like? Well, my first summer was interesting. I was not a great wrangler. Did a lot of like cultural adjusting. The, the the ranch department has always been very like tough cookies. You know, things are how they are, and you can get over it or you can die trying. So that was tough, and I like had a fill fling at the beginning of my first summer that was uh, like just gut wrenching and ended very quickly. And so that kind of ostracized me from part of the department. Interestingly enough, 
And I was just kind of like a, a little bit of a misfit. I didn't super fit in with that crew. There, I had a couple of friends in the department, but didn't do a lot of hanging out on days off and stuff like that. And so I kind of gravitated over to the PCs and spent a lot of time with the PCs at all of the camps that I was stationed at that summer, which is the weird thing about Wranglers. We bounce around, so we don't really stay in one place. But I developed a lot of friendships from my kind of ostracizing from the ranch department and being a lot more like a a wrangler that PC'd instead of a hardcore wrangler. I wasn't part of the crew all the time, which was interesting. I always cared a lot about like, you know, pleasing people and stuff. And so at the time I felt kind of awkward and like I didn't really fit in and stuff, but actually it worked out really well um, because my breadth of engagements and friendships across the ranch got pretty deep and multi-departmental instead of being very insular as Wranglers have a notorious reputation for being. So it was, it was interesting kind of being a little different, but still wanting to come back, you know, to the same department and do it again. And now it's my life. So. Yeah. Cause you're coming to us from Philmont. You live in Cimarron to this day and you've been there for how many years now? Um, yeah, we've been here for five years. We, I worked at the Springer prison, uh, running a horse program there for three years before I switched over to Philmont, uh, two years and four months ago, approximately. So were you, where are you from originally? I'm originally from Dripping Springs, Texas. So just West of Austin, it used to be like its own little cow town, but now it's kind of Austin junior, you know, one of the great Austin sprawl type location, but, uh, a little town or used to be that was kind of, I don't know, country ish. Did you grow up around horses and like, did you grow up on a ranch? Um, So I grew up with a little bit of land. We had like five acres, but it wasn't in a ranchy atmosphere necessarily. I just, I always kind of loved horses ever since I could talk. I don't know why particularly. It wasn't anything that anyone else in my family was super latched onto that I was around, but it was something that I had always been drawn to and, you know, coloring books and stuff when I was a kid. And so had that weird natural obsession with horses that some girls just get. And uh, I shouldn't say girls, some people, um, but it it seems to be horse girls have a whole, you know, ism that comes with it. So that's an interesting association to have as a person. But um, no, I was, I I was just obsessed with them since I was little and kind of dragged my family kicking and screaming into it. And my dad, he kind of followed me into it and became like my co-horse person. And so I actually got him into riding through me riding and he became an equestrian as well and competed in different events than I did, did uh, endurance racing and stuff while I was doing my little show pony thing in 4-H. And so I wasn't a broad spectrum equestrian, which touches on some stuff that was in, I guess, in the broad spectrum of things for this whole interview is uh the amount of horsemanship that i had to learn on the spot as a wrangler like i thought i was pretty good at horses and i'd ridden several and had a good seat and knew a bunch of things about colors and anatomy and you know had taken lessons for a long time and so i must be super great uh and super knowledgeable and you get to film on and find out it's an entirely different kind of horsemanship and so it's a lot of learning on the fly and a lot of stretching your comfort zone real hard, real fast and kind of trying to make things work until you find your groove. So I kind of had that, um, as a youth 
I was obsessed with horses and we had a horse for a while. And um, I always really wanted to be a wrangler at Philmont, but I was frankly like, I was like, I don't think I could cut it. I mean, it's, it's somewhat intimidating, <laughs> but also very, yeah. you know, to the outside, I appears to be the, like a, just a really cool culture of, like you said, challenging yourself mentally, physically, and um, doing a really cool part of the ranch that not a lot of people understand or get to see, you know, because it is a working cattle ranch. And there are, there are a lot of animals out there that you are responsible for. And I think it's just a unique perspective, like someone who knows the, the intimate inner workings of that department and gets to work in that department, which you've been doing full time for the past. Yeah, two years, three summers. Did you, when did you know, or when did you think maybe like working out there full time would be something you'd want to do instead of the veterinary route or the equestrian route? It was kind of, I never, honestly, it was my dream to work out here, but like all we wanted to do was get back to the West and the mountains. And it just was serendipity that brought us back to Cimarron because there just so happened to be, we literally, I mean, we were doing the poor kid thing. We lived in a studio apartment over a garage uh, in Virginia and we didn't have internet at our house. And so we, we went to the library and rented movies and used the computer for like work stuff. And so when we, after we got married, we started thinking about making a move to the West and we would go to the library and sit on the library computers. Um, thank you, public libraries uh, and scroll through indeed. And we just happened to be looking in Cimarron one day and there were two postings for jobs at the, the prison. And one of them was the equestrian uh, program director. And I was like, no, no way. And and it was so close to Cimarron. And, you know, there was something that Curtis's job that he ended up getting was on there as well. And, you know, so they called and made us offers. We inter- both interviewed within two days of each other and got rather quick callbacks and started making plans at the end of June and moved to Cimarron in mid-August of 2017. And so then we were here and it was like, wow, you know, that'd be so cool if we actually got to be back in Philmont. Like we never, it was not part of our life plan, but we both loved it and had such life-altering experiences here. And so the the idea of being able to come back to Philmont full-time was like tantalizingly close. And it just so happened that we moved back here um, at a time when a lot of people from the ranch department and the ranch in general were starting to retire and turn over. So I put my hat in the ring. Um, I put my hat in the ring a couple of times. They, I applied for a job once before at Philmont before I got this one and um, was super excited to get it. Like, you know, there's a whole lot of firsts that come with being me in the ranch department, which is weird. Um, but I had just hit the right place, right time button and ended up in my dream job. And I was sitting there like, I'm 28 years old and I just got my dream job. It's all like downhill from here, like peaked. I peaked. Um, it was it was <laughs> surreal. So no, I'm, I'm just thrilled to be here. I am thrilled that you're thrilled. And I love I love that you're living the dream and loving it at the same time, you know, with your Phil Fling, now your husband and Taking it back a little bit, back to seasonal staff, do you think there's something about the ranch department or the Wranglers that people misperceive or get wrong? Um, or can you shine a light a little bit on the duties and the job you do? Just kind of a perspective that maybe others wouldn't see. 
Sure. Looking um, outside, looking in. <laughs> well, I, I know at least back when like you and I worked on the ranch together seasonally and we were kind of coming out of it, but it was a long running uh, thing that like wranglers are assholes. Can I say assholes? Um, okay. Well, it's a long running thing that, you know, the ranger wranglers don't hang out with anybody else. And we're kind of like our own little pod and we're angry all the time. And, and Curtis always jokes that like, when we walk into the dining hall with our spurs jangling and looking like the absolute mean mug on, you know, that whole thing, it's because we're just trying not to cry. Like, you know, we're in a ton of pain. We're usually doing really hard physical labor. And we're, you know, if you just assume the toughness is more of like, oh, okay, all right, we got this. Just don't break. We're good. And, you know, make it to the food and go home and collapse. Like, that's that's where the face is from, you know. But uh, we did, we were very insular and, and in the last decade, the department has really opened up and started to be more like cross departmentally involved. And, you know, we see more Wranglers that help with the running of camp and more camp PCs that help with the running of the Wranglers. Like there's a lot of cross um, department helping there and in PCs that want to be Wranglers and um, Wranglers that help with program and stuff like that. So we're getting there. Um but it, it was a very insular, very kind of, I don't know, boys club-ish, I mean, that had girls, but boys club-ish type group for a long time. We fix fence and we take care of all the other animals that are on Philmont besides horses. So those are like two weird things that we do that people don't really think about us doing because they just see us and the horses and the cows and that's it. But, you know, our department is logistically in charge of the chickens and the pigs and the goats and the sheep and the burrows and everything else that walks and breathes. And so that's a thing that people don't really think about that we do in the preseason and the postseason and in the off season um, is take care of those animals as well. Do you guys ride in the Buffalo pasture ever? Usually we use trucks in the Buffalo pasture. Um, they, the Buffalo are really good at coming to the siren. And so they'll throw hay on the back of the truck and, turn on the siren and the buffalo will come. Usually when we're moving buffalo, we're trying to use trucks. Uh, there there have been instances where horses have been assisting, but for the most part, trucks are safer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I distinctly remember Wranglers walking into the dining hall because, you know, you guys got to wear your jeans in the dining hall with your staff shirt. And I always remember being like, oh man, lucky. <laughs> it's like a small, <laughs> tiny perspective. Yeah. Um, but that always like, for some reason, for right. my first couple of years on staff, especially, I was like, Who are the, who's that crowd? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, we use we wear uniform shorts now, just like everybody else, shorts and pants at dinner. So shoot. Yeah, <laughs> was, right. I always no. thought that was really cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so what about traditions in that department? Are there any specific traditions that you can talk about on air or legacies? When people started carrying cell phones, they stopped letting us trough people. That was a big one. Whenever you made like an achievement or whatever, <laughs> uh, you won Wrangler roping or something like that, you got troughed. Uh, and that does not happen anymore because people carry very expensive electronics on their persons and you can't make sure that they don't have their AirPods in before you throw them in the water trough. Um, so that is a, a dead tradition. Um, but it was fun and still alive when I was a Wrangler back when it was just like flip phones and nobody actually kept them on them when they were riding. So that has changed, but it was a super fun thing that got done semi-regularly. So 
I always thought it was super impressive when you guys did, um, I don't know if it was a week or more or less of a shoeing at, at the ranch and everyone would like have their wounds on their hands. And <laughs> I always thought that was so interesting that the seasonal yeah. staff were tasked with, Hey, welcome. We're going to teach you how to shoe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, we definitely, we still do that. We do shoeing week is more like shoeing a few days. We do get outside farriers to come and help. Um, we don't have 30 newbies shoeing the horses or we'd never get it done, but we do teach the wranglers how because once they're in the backcountry we don't call farriers in for every horse that loses a shoe um, and as they need to be replaced as they start falling off especially in late july in august that's like all that we're doing that time of year too is putting shoes back on um on dude rides and on cavalcades so that's a really intensive part of the job and that is the most painful part of the preseason i mean there's topping off which is where we ride everything and make sure that it's safe and that is painful in its own way because you're breaking your body back into riding shape like hard and fast. But uh, shoeing is very trial by fire. And usually there's a lot of fire um, and you just end up with holes in parts of your body that there weren't supposed to be holes in. And, and you know, everybody's got a few battle wounds from shoeing. Um, my first time that I shot a horse ever guy named Parker Zimmer was teaching me and the, I drove the nail into the shoe and it came out the other side and then the horse yanked their foot down and my hand was right there on the nail, which is really stupid, but it was my first time, first nail and uh, drove straight into my hand and ripped a nice hole. And Parker made me finish shoeing that foot before he let me go like get my wound attended to. So it was very much a tough cookies uh, atmosphere when it came to learning that kind of stuff, but it was fun. And it's part of like, it's type two fun, right? You know, you get to tell everybody about it afterwards and it, it was, it was tough. And I was definitely not super great Wrangler material when I started, but stick with it long enough. And I guess you get there. So definitely badasses in, in the range <laughs> department. Speaking of, you know, Parker Zimmer and different people, was there a specific range department supervisor or maybe even someone on the other side of things like a camp director or someone who really influenced you while you were there seasonally? As a seasonal employee, I think like I have to give a shout out to Bob Brookliffs. I don't know if he he didn't like particularly, you know, make me apply for leadership or, you know, and encourage me in that direction. But the guy gave me a chance. Like my third year, you know, when we put in to apply for the fall, I really wanted to come work the fall and I was graduated and everything and was just talking to Bob one day that I had put in and, and said, you know, by the way, my major's animal science. And I'd really like to, to, I did at the time really want to go get my master's degree. Um, and still push that veterinary thing post master's degree. But um, he didn't know that I was an animal science student. And so he, I think, gave me a shot based on that. And that fall, it was me and a girl named Christine Orson. And I don't know, uh, other people correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I haven't heard of another pair of girls that w worked a fall, but uh, she and I are the only like solely girl crew that I know of that they hired for a fall. So I'd love to know if there's any other uh, female fall crews out there. But shortly after that, they started hiring more than two people for the fall. Usually it used to be just two. And now we hire like four or five um, fairly regularly. And so that was pretty neat um, time. But Bob is really the one that kind of gave me my shot by hiring me um, for that fall. 
And I'd, I'd love to know why, you know, there were, there were tons of other good people that applied for that fall. And I, and I always kind of wondered why I got to be one of the lucky ones, but was really, really glad that I did get picked. And then I always like to harken back to when I was a scout, the people that I looked up to. So my first trek had a really rough day three, right? That's like notorious day three. And we were in Poblano and we came in and dinner wasn't cooking right and people had blisters and like there was some advisor conflict, um, you know, somebody that was not having a great time. And it was just, the mood was terrible. People were crying. It was very, it was very day three. Um, and we came into Poblano and played logger ball, the old fashioned way, God dang it. Um, when it used to be a lot more haphazard and chaotic <laughs> and like amazing, we played logger ball and then we went to the show and I still remember Dom Alessandrini, the one and only, and Ian Bagley bags were staff at that camp. And I really, str- I remember Dom's like super motivating pole talk. And I remember Bags's like hilarious contributions in the campfire. It was amazing getting to meet them as a first year staffer six years later, I think, five years later, five years later, after I came back and came back on staff and I was like, oh, fangirl, you know, you, you guys were so cool. I remember you from back in the day and you're still here. Wow. Holy cow. And we actually ran into Dom, my second trek too. He was the <laughs> camp director at Clark's Fork uh, at the time and uh, officiated an arm wrestling contest between me and my mom on that trek as well. So he was present throughout, but um, those are two people that like made enough of an impact on my treks that it was amazing to come back and see them still there and get to have them as staff mentors when I was like a newbie staffer. So that was pretty cool. Those are two amazing people that I know as well. And I can definitely, and, and Bob, I mean, all three of those people. So God, there's good people out at Philmont. They're just the best <laughs> of the best. It's just, Oh my gosh. Fact. Yeah. Totally. Um, and you are also known for your vocal talents and harmonies and singing. And so I know that horse camps have campfires. And so like you were saying about kind of like working interdepartmentally. I know you also got to sing, which I'm sure you enjoyed. Do you, do you ever get to like get up to a campfire anymore now that you're on full time and pop in and sing a tune? No, man, I've had kids ever since I came back full time and they really put a damper on your ability to get out in the evenings <laughs> and like go to campfires. So I think I saw Bobian's campfire once this year and that is I'm pretty sure the only campfire that I have been to since I came back full time because there's not enough like motivation to either get the whole crew out or to get a babysitter to go. So no, I have not gotten to go be in campfires, but I did while Tim was alive over in Red River, we we would get together sometimes and do gigs. So I did get to keep singing once I came out here. Um, have also made a little group with, let's see, this summer, Bev Hargrove was here and she and Slim and I had a group that met a couple of times and got to jam a little bit and do some lady vocal harmony stuff, which was super fun. And so, you know, whenever we can, we make time for music out here, but you don't always get to do it when you want, especially when you're an adult with fancy adult responsibilities like kids. So I wish I sang more, but I don't. 
Yeah, I resonate with that a lot. The other day I was in my car. I don't even know where I was going, but I was driving somewhere like after 8.30 p.m. And I was like, it's so dark. There's so many people out. I never <laughs> drive at this time of night anymore because it's like bedtime. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you still have, you know, some of those gals to sing with. And um, coming up at the end of this month, I'm sure we'll do we'll be doing some singing in Tim's honor out at the ranch outsider's perspective it seems like your your job the ranch department's job is is um challenges come and go like pretty frequently it seems like working with the land working with animals you're going to have challenges every day i don't know if you'd agree or disagree but what would you say is like the most challenging part of your job now as a full-time staff member or if you'd rather talk about it seasonally i think that you know, it is just physically and psychologically demanding sometimes the long hours that animals take, because if we want to have a productive day, we have to get them in and ready for us to start working at normal people hours, which is, you know, eight o'clock after breakfast, but we had to go get them before breakfast and then bring them in and then do breakfast and then do the day. And then you still have to make sure everything is fed and taken care of and second rounds of medicine for the day have been given if they're needed and that everything is you know, buttoned up and safe and good for the night before you get to go have your dinner. So it's, it's long, long days. And that's just what you do when you're in the livestock industry anywhere. I mean, it's the animals come before you and their physical needs come before you. And that means that you have to get up super early sometimes and you have to stay really late sometimes. And that's for the betterment of the animals that you've devoted your life to the stewardship of, you know, we make personal sacrifices to be animal people and that is making sure that they are taken care of because they rely on us for their welfare just as much as you know we rely on them for food or uh, recreation or whatever um and so having that mindset and putting them before you as an entire industry mindset is um it makes them long days <laughs> you get tired yeah no kidding i always when I worked as a program counselor at, at Bobian and then as camp director there, I remember hearing the Wranglers wake up in the morning to get the horses and thinking like, okay, I'm <laughs> I'm okay with being a PC right now because I don't have to be out there doing that. <laughs> but at the same at the same time, also being jealous because I imagine there's a lot of uh, you know, I don't know, contemplative solitude and just like you get to see those sunrises and like you said, uh, sacrifice but for the greater good. The other person I've interviewed on the show in the range department was Tanner Shaw, who was a wrangler for a long time. He talked about even, you know, like some fun kind of paranormal ghost stories and <laughs> things he saw, like out of the corner of his eye in the early mornings. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It's definitely romanticized, but maybe for a good reason. Yeah, no, I agree. It was... um the good obviously outweighs the bad. Like it's, it can be stressful, but it's something that like you devote your life to and it inspires you. And those sunrises are completely indescribable. Like it is awesome to see the world come alive from the back of a horse, you know, as the stars go away, really, really quiet and internally peaceful. And and then you get to the horses and they start running around and being stupid and you have to catch up with them and everything goes to hell in a handbasket and it's a super stressful, yay, exciting morning. So like, you know, the solitude is broken rather abruptly by the stressful parts, but um, it is worth it. And those are memorable too. There's a lot of type two fun that goes on. It is all 
like a good story. Type two fun. I get it. It sounds like it sounds like an extension of parenting, really. Um, <laughs> yep. yep. If you had to work in a different department or in a different position, what would it be? Would it be backcountry since you were so you know connected with a lot of those people or something totally different? No, I always was curious about backcountry. And I am a little bit of a like historical fiction nerd and have always liked the idea of doing um, like an interpretive camp, um, doing, you know, Cypher's Mine or Rich Cabins or something, you know, homesteady where you're portraying something. I and I actually turned down a job in the Colonial Williamsburg uh, interpretive department as a livestock interpreter um, back in 2014, 2015. I think summer of 2015 um, is when I was looking at that job. And I went the smart way that paid better. And I, I got a job in the veterinary fields and it was great. And I loved that job and I learned a whole lot there. But I've always kind of, that's been my what if, like if I'd gone and done interpretive history, um, especially livestock interpretive history uh, at a legit interplace, like I've always been a little, have fun with costumes. So that would have been my other pick would be backcountry interp. Hi everyone, my name is Carly McDermott. I was on staff in 2012 at Cypher's Mine, and then again in 2013 as a CNA at Help Lodge. My husband Dylan also worked in the backcountry during the same time, so we have big hearts for Philmont and just the community as a whole. I'm here to simply call out any small business owners, entrepreneurs, or even aspiring entrepreneurs who are listeners of the show. I have a huge passion for making life easier for you, which is why I started Jive Bookkeeping. Whether you need help setting up QuickBooks, understanding reports and profit margins, or even just getting your books caught up from prior years, I get it and I'm here to help. So if this sounds like you, I would love to connect and explore how I can save you time and some headaches. So hit me up at jivebookkeeping.com and we'll get started. Thanks so much. Hike on everyone. Do you ride your own horse? Like, do you have your own horse? So I do. Um, his name is Boone. I actually, this is my, I don't know, you know, people, this is getting really deep. Um, but talk about your, like, what makes you have your beliefs in life and stuff. And and it was a, a total God moment to me. I got the call from Chuck that I was being offered this job at Philmont. And less than 24 hours later, totally unrelated. And I had not told anybody yet. Nobody knew that I had this job. I got a call from a uh, woman in town who had, whose husband had a horse and he had a, a medical thing and they didn't have the time to work on it and really get it good, but she wanted him to have a good home. And so she said, if you're willing to work on him, you can have him. Um, and that's how Boone came into my life and I was able to, you know, fix his injury and now he's a perfectly great working horse. And so I do have my own horse that I ride at Philmont, but that's kind of where he came from. And it was just insane to me that I got that call about him. Like I could not have taken him had she called 24 hours earlier, but the way things worked out, I I ended up saying, yes. so that's Boone. That's my horse. Oh, I like that a lot. That's beautiful. That's totally a God moment. Mm-hmm. Um, transitioning a tiny bit into like just kind of talking about legacies and the culture of Cimarron and the wild, wild west and all the richness of of the Philmont seasonal staff experience, which you're now living 
as a full-timer, do you still, do you get to ride in the rodeo? Like, do you still do the rodeo? Does Boone <laughs> ride in the rodeo with you? <laughs> uh, you know, interestingly, I, I was never one of the wranglers that had enough of a self-destructive streak to enter in the rodeo. Um, I, it, you know, it was one of those things that we did a lot of, but I was more. So you were smart. You I, were just yeah. the smart one. I, I watched. I watched the rodeo. We legit had a kid get gored by a cow this year and like have very near damage to his femoral artery. So that's like not what I'm into. And so I, I never did. But it, uh, it's Boone is around. He is more of a back behind the scenes horse will bring him and like my kids will you know ride him around uh on the competitor side and kind of have the whole fourth of july hometown experience and get to be back there with all the cowboys and stuff but um no i do not ride in the rodeo i've never had a fast enough horse to win barrels and i've never had uh, enough balls to do anything else so (laughs) (laughs) well that's more than I mean, I'm yeah, I would be way too scared. I want to do it, of course. Like like I said, romanticizing again. But, yeah. Um <laughs> I'll watch for now. Yeah. Um, but no, that's a that's a beautiful story about Boone. And I'm I'm really glad that you were able to accept both the job and the call and 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 have him kind of be your partner in crime as a full timer at Philmont. Speaking of, were there any other women in the ranch department full-time that have come before you that you know of? No, not full-time. Uh, short answer is no. I don't know of any any other women that were, were out here. It's been a pretty short line from the livestock department's inception to the people that work there now. So yeah, it's been kind of a boys club before me. That's pretty badass as well. It's not everyone's experience. Like for me personally, being a female at Philmont is wasn't like a distinct part of my experience, but would you say it has been for you? Um, not when I was seasonal. I mean, the ranch department's actually sometimes now majority female. The horse industry is something that is a lot more female, uh, recreationally speaking. And so we do get a lot of girls that work in the ranch department. It's been interesting going from being a girl in a department that was all bossed by men to being one of the bosses in that department. Um, and interestingly, I think I'm the only with Anna Fuchs leaving, I think I'm the only full-time backcountry woman at Philmont now, which is weird, but definitely the only full-time woman in my department, which includes, you know, conservation and farm and roads and the ranch department. So it's been a weird, like I don't notice it until I'm in like a department meeting or something. And I look around and I'm like, oh, there's not a lot of girls in here. Well, okay. Um, But it's not something that, you know, my coworkers or my bosses have let influence the way that they treat me, I don't think. Um, Aside from the fact that I did have, you know, pregnancy and maternity leave at one point, but that's just part of, you know, being a a mom. Um, So that was a necessary delineation of being female. But otherwise, it really has not made a big difference, I don't think, in my experience, um, except that now I, I end up doing a lot more of the like emotional labor of the ranch department. The people, you know, the, the, the wranglers come to me with their problems. And I think that's just part of being a girl is you're, you're less intimidating because the ranch bosses do have a, a reputation of being a little intimidating. So I'm typically the one that gets the HR questions and stuff like that. But otherwise it really hasn't make a bit, made a big difference in my 
professional experience, I don't think. That's interesting. The like HR part of things. I <laughs> I always really like that side of things. Like I like to be a person that's approachable and open-minded and, and hopefully there for others. So I can definitely see you filling that role. I'm sure it adds to your duties as assigned, but I can see you doing a really good job at that and just kind of being there for those people. I want to talk at all or give a shout out at all to Curtis, your husband, who you met at Philmont, who was also a Wrangler. Oh, heck yes. Yeah, no, that was, of course, you know, we we met and stayed perfectly Philmont allowably separate until um, we started dating in the off season after the summer was over. But um, we did meet at Philmont and then uh, long distance date for my last year of college and then move in together. And ultimately ended up getting married um, after he had his trial by fire of learning horsemanship. He was not a horse person before he started working in the ranch department and kind of broke himself in the hard way on horseback. Has a few wound stories from that, but he made it and uh, it was we had a great summer. So it was really cool, you know, getting to watch him learn. And then when we came back in 2014 together, you know, getting to see him be a seasoned cowboy looking guy, uh, come back and nobody would have known he was a rock jock to start out with. So that was pretty fun. Yeah. I didn't know that either. So, uh, Wranglers are, yeah, you guys are good at that, like poker face of kind of, (laughs) uh, putting on that, that show. So now today you and Curtis live in Cimarron, you have two beautiful kiddos, I know one of the perks of being full-time at Philmont is you get to spend time in the backcountry over the Labor Day weekend. Did you guys get to do that this past weekend? We did. We got to go um, Slim and Eli Reserves, Phillips Junction, and we had um, some other Phil staffers and friends from the area come down, and we had a lovely few days. We This was our first time taking the kids like overnight into the backcountry, and it was like we both walked into it saying to each other okay like if at any point it's too bad like we're not playing we're staying chicken like just say it and we'll go because this is this could be really stressful um but we ended up being able to pack it in and make it work and we had like it takes a village to raise kids we had a literal village at the cabin like watching them so that we didn't have to be like on hyper vigilance all weekend and we got to relax and have fun um but we did only stay for a day i think there were people that were there for you know, two nights, three days, and and we were only there for Saturday night. But it was really fun, and the kids had a great time, and it was wonderful getting to, like, actually get back there and see what things are like to recreate in. Like, we spent a lot of time in a quiet summer backcountry last summer, which was weird. Not many people have gotten to do that, just, you know, because the summer is always insane. Um, but actually getting to do recreation back there with a group, uh, now that the kids are a little bit bigger and controllable, uh, corralable was really fun. <laughs> yeah, I definitely feel you there. We bought a pop-up camper recently and we still have yet to take it out because we're like, oh man, like how far do we want to go from oh, home? Should we just yeah. pop it up in the driveway and try it? Yes. Um, yeah. So I, I get it, those excursions <laughs> with little people. But just kind of as we sort of slowly start to wrap up here, um, do you want to, do you have like a favorite memory or story you want to share? Okay. Like generally speaking, all of the jamming at Pobano with the Pobano boys, both in 2011 and 2012 was super duper fun. Um, all of those nights are really memorable to me. A couple of really great moments 
fall of 2014 when I was a fall wrangler with Christine out on Wilson Mesa. We actually went looking for some horses on Wilson Mesa and we did not find the horses, but uh, we did see like a bachelor herd of elk running up there and bugling. And then there were multiple birds of prey circling and calling in the sky and you can't see any you know, telephone wires. There were no airplanes flying. So it, it was wildly uh, removed. I felt like I could have been 200 years in the past just with the snap of my fingers. So that was a really amazing moment that always sticks in my head. And I love going back to Wilson and thinking about that day. It's never been quite as serene as it was then, but it was a perfect day. Um, and then my like, I don't know, wall of shame moment um, at Wrangler Roping in 2000. 11, I think it was my first year at Wrangler Roping. I came around a barrel, my last barrel, and my pearl snap shirt, I leaned over like to go really fast on the horse's neck. My pearl snap shirt caught on my saddle horn and I sat up a little bit and it ripped my shirt open. Like my buttons popped, uh, the pearl snaps popped open and I was like running hellbent for leather back to the, the grandstand of people. And um, my bra was out for everyone to see. And it was just, everyone was yelling at me when I got back and I couldn't hear them over like the wind in my ears. And then I looked down and like my shirt's wide open and I had just like given a show to the entire uh, grandstand of people. So that like capped off the, the, uh, that summer for me, which was pretty terrible, but it, it's a <laughs> funny one, you know, a day that she'll live in infamy. Um, and I, I'll never forget it. That was, that was something that was a day. <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. Not everyone can uh, claim fame to a story such as that. Um, <laughs> did you, this is sort of off topic a tiny bit, but do you have any stories or um, is, is, are the Wranglers, is the ranch department ever called upon to assist in infirmary emergencies, fire emergencies? Do you have any, like, have you ever been called upon in that sense? You know what? Uh, I haven't. I know that Ben Vargas was part of the search for that missing camper that was found deceased uh, year, a year later up in the Carson Meadows area, I think that was. But we have never, not while well, I've been there, been called in. And man, I've been dying to go on a horse hasty, but um, apparently it gets complicated when you add horses into an emergency situation. So we've never actually gotten to go out on one. But it is uh, something that I would be really interested in doing, um, given the opportunity. It just... It, has not been people have not jumped at the uh the option uh horses tend to add a layer of stupid into stuff that's going on so you you kind of want to keep them back from any kind of emergency so (laughs) fair enough fair enough yeah let's transition maybe to some nominations and final thoughts who who would you like to hear from on the show so i i mean call me partial I would be super interested actually to hear from a couple of the old timers in the ranch department, just because like, especially having worked with Chuck for the last couple of years, you know, I've gotten to hear some of his old stories from old time ranch department. And, um, I, there, you know, things that these guys were men of few words and they probably would be if, if they were to talk to you, but even still um, prying some of those stories out of them, um, getting to hear what things were like back in the day and how things have changed and, you know, how they came to be in the Boy Scouts and work at Philmont, you know, everybody's life story to get here is such an interesting one. And knowing that people come from such diverse backgrounds to wind up here, uh, I would love to hear from Ben Vargas or 
Bob Rickliffs or Rod Taylor um, about their Philmont story and uh, things that, that stand out to them from, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago about Philmont and, and what kind of legacy they're hoping to see um, going forward for the ranch. Yeah, I love that. I would love, love, love to get those guys, those folks on the on the show. Uh, like you said, men of few words. So we'll yeah. see if I can pull some <laughs> strings. Maybe, uh, maybe a shout out from from someone actually in depart in the department now will help. But um, definitely stories and history worth pre- uh, preserving and sharing. Um, yeah, those guys are legacies. So they're legends, rather. They are yeah, legends. They are legends. Um, do you have a piece of Philmont memorabilia that you keep in your house? I mean, you live there. I, like you yeah. live in Cimarron, but is there anything really special that you there's like, a, always ride with or keep with you? Oh, there's a killer view of the tooth from my backyard. That's like my well, my wall hanging. Um, no, I not particularly. I don't think. Um, you know, I held on to the little things and you know pieces of like we'd make a bracelet out of a scrap piece of rain or whatever to wear with us when we were away from the ranch and and maybe I take it for granted now that I'm here but like my everyday we definitely keep our name tags like that's um you know my name tags from the season since I started working here full time are on uh you know on my mirror above my dresser um you know as an interesting little collectible but because it's my like life now it's interestingly less memorialized in my existence than it even though it's such a huge part of my life um than it would be you know being separated from it yeah that makes sense i i i think name tags are a common um they're also like held on thing they're also like a nice way to kind of keep track of like oh yeah what year did i do what because as you get older and have kiddos, those things start to fade. Um, but I definitely have all of mine as well. And um, it's fun to look back on them. You know, Philmont has experienced, the ranch has experienced some unprecedented stuff the past couple of years with the 2018 U Park fire and then COVID in 2020. Is there anything you're really excited for or looking forward to or anything about, you know, even this summer that was just awesome that you wanted to share as a final thought? I'm interested to see how f- staff culture reestablishes itself. It's been very interesting. You know, 2018, we didn't really have a backcountry summer. 2019, we did. 2020, we didn't have any summer. There were no staff here. And so we've lost that oral tradition that uh, used to just carry through, I mean, into perpetuity back to the beginning of Philmont's existence. And all of that hand-me-down knowledge uh, filtered away and we only had a very spare handful of people that were able to return and pass on what they knew about staffing at Philmont and the traditions and the secrets and you know, the sweat lodges and I mean what um, and all the the things that you you know aren't <laughs> you know that you don't think about having in a staff handbook the things that are done because that's how they've been done for the last 20 years and that's a good thing you know make sure to take a hard left around that tree or you're going to find the pothole on the other side like that kind of knowledge that was just there that we've all had to refine and I'm super excited for that to reestablish itself and to watch this summer which was the least staff experienced summer that we've had since Belmont started um to go from what we had this summer to summers where people 
know what they're doing again, um, where we're not just flying from one emergency to the next, where it's a, a continuous hand-me-down and to watch that knowledge develop and take root again as we get that established staff back. I'm super excited to see how that pans out. Um, also fall programming. We've a uh, little plug here. The ranch has really ramped up its off-season programming and there's a whole bunch of options for fall recreation that have not been there before. Um, so we've actually started taking out fall cavalcades and um, this will be our second fall of doing that. We piloted that last year during COVID, which was insane, um, but it worked out. And um, so we're doing that again this year and super excited to carry that forward. So please come out to Philmont. I would come out tomorrow and go on a fall cavalcade. That sounds incredible. Like fall is just so beautiful and kind of quiet. And um, to see all that on horseback would be a dream. Uh, Definitely high on my bucket list to get back out there. Y'all could easily do family adventure and just come out and spend a week in the fall doing sampling all the stuff. I mean, you can do it in the summer too, but that's the really interesting thing that I've seen is it's like our fall cavalcades. You can, pick whatever group of friends you want. As long as they're willing to register with the BSA and get a physical, they can come out and go on a trek with you. And so they don't have to be super involved in scouting. It's just whoever you want to bring with you, um, which is really fun. So we've had some interesting groups put together from that. Yeah, no kidding. That's really good to remind people of because it is kind of like what's holding you back at that point. Right. (laughs) I'll be there. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. I hope I asked everything you'd want to share. Is there anything else? want to shout out to Caroline, who I haven't seen in a long time, um, but she's my turtle buddy. And so I, I miss her and haven't gotten to talk to her in a long time, but she's a Philmont buddy that I love and admire and love that she's off doing her thing. But shout out to Caroline. Absolutely. I may or may not have been there that night. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> We yeah, can I talk about that more. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll wrap it up there. Um, I'll talk to you off air, but I'm going to go ahead and put push stop here. 